The Cultural Enterprises podcast is part of our online academy. Structured courses and learning resources created by industry experts, which encourage flexible learning. So you can watch at your own pace, in your own time, on multiple devices, in a location to suit you. To see how we can help you and your team, please visit culturalenterprises.org.uk forward slash academy. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Series 2 of the Cultural Enterprises podcast. With a new series comes a new format and a new presenter. I'm Gabriella Gandolfini and in each episode I'll be chatting to a top leader in both the cultural enterprises sector and the arts world in general. I'm delighted to be here and I can't wait to get to know our guests better, find out how they got to where they are, what inspires them, and what advice they have for the next generation of cultural leaders. Without further ado, it gives me great pleasure to introduce you to today's episode's guest, Julie Molloy, Managing Director of the National Gallery Company and a trustee for the Association for Cultural Enterprises. So welcome, Julie. Thank you very much. How nice to talk to you. So, Julie, could you please introduce yourself and give us a brief description of what is it that you actually do when you're going to work? What do you do on a daily basis? Hi, yeah, well, I'm Julie Malloy. I'm Managing Director of the National Gallery Company Limited, um, which is the trading entity for the National Gallery. Clearly, my major responsibility is the direction of the trading company and obviously the welfare of my staff. So on a day basis, we have rather too many meetings, but I'm in and amongst the staff. I have great connections with my own executive team and also with the gallery's executive team. So I work across the two entities. My day is a day of conversations, of meetings, of effectively walking around the gallery. I mean, we, every day is so varied. So I can be having a conversation about pictures one day with the director and then the next day I'll be having a conversation with my chair about strategies. So that's why I like the business. It's just so very varied and that's why I've been pretty wholly involved in it for most of my career. I think what we need to do is start from the very beginning. Okay, so I know that you graduated in history of art and architecture at the University of Reading. So what drove you to study that in particular? Whilst at school, I had a particular interest in painting, actually. And part of my module while at school, I was very lucky to be educated in a school that took creativity um, rather seriously. And in my last two years, I did an art history A-level combined with my fine art A-level and an A-level in history. And quite late on, decided to go to university to study a combination of fine art and history of art. And after a year at university of being with some really rather strange artists, I decided to take myself out and just concentrate on a three-year module that was the history of art and the history of architecture, uh, which I thoroughly enjoyed. I have to say that it was one of those courses that didn't keep you fully occupied, but actually to make that decision at 19 to stop wanting to be an artist and start to want to learn more about the history of Western European art and architecture was absolutely the right thing for me and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And what did you think your career was going to be like at that point? When I left university I wanted to go and work in the arts but the truth was that those jobs were largely unavailable at the time. I think the direction was either to go into auction houses or to 
want to go and be a curator uh, and those openings weren't there and I had always worked in retail so since I was 15 or 16 I'd had jobs in retail and so in my last year at university I started to look at the opportunities across the, um, the retail sector in the UK and that's when I got my job at CNA which no longer exists in this country nothing to do with me but um, <laughs> is, is still a very vibrant global retailer so I left to go to, on their graduate management scheme in the early 80s. What was the main life lesson that you learned from going to university? Oh, I realised I'm, I'm a social animal. Right. I, <laughs> I can't be without people. I, I'm, I don't think I'm particularly needy, but I loved what university brought me in terms of the range of people and friends that I made. And clearly, um, a lot of them still remain very close to me even 30 years later. I only attended university for two years back home in Brazil. And then when I came here, I did my degree via Open University. And that's one of the main things that I missed was the social interaction of actually going to classes. And I think there's great value of actually attending those classes. But there are other views in, on formal education nowadays. So there are alternatives, as we know. Yeah. What are your views on formal education for those wanting a career in arts management, for example? I actually lecture for Sotheby's Institute to modules of students who are doing their MA in business and arts. And I know there are plenty of equally valid courses. Um, I think that's so different to the type of route that I took. Whilst to some extent it narrows your or focuses your opportunities, I think it is you know, it's really good now that there are people that understanding that in culture, whether you're in a museum or a gallery or you work for a historic property, there's, there's a broader career pattern than just preserving the art or the collections. Um, and actually, I do think that what that means is that people who are generating income or making decisions that help support the gallery or the museum are taken much more seriously than they perhaps were when I first came into to the museum sector. So if we fast forward in your career for a bit, in, uh, you worked for a buyer for a while, is that right? Uh, that's when I was at CNA. I joined their graduate management scheme and did approximately three years in retail operations. And then you were given the opportunity to make decisions about which path you wanted to tread. So I wanted to be a buyer. Thoroughly enjoyable career and you got to see everything. So we worked across marketing and advertising as, as well. The great thing about CNA as a company, you were able to be creative, you were able to take risks, you learned from your failures, but they also applauded you for success. You know, given that I had quite a lot of colleagues working across other retailers at the time, it felt like the culture in the, in the organisation I was working for was actually very much more trusting and also actually very, very empathetic in terms of the way it treated its people. Those are the two major lessons I learned from working there, is trust people and realise that people are your, your biggest asset. And at what point did you leave CNA? I left because I had a baby. And it was at that point I started to think about whether I could change careers and um, move into the, more, the cultural sector. And so I actually wrote a letter to the Surveyor of the Queen's Pictures at Stable Yard House St. James's and said, look, I'm 
I've got a young child, I've got this background, I've done this and um, are there any openings for me? And I got a letter back saying there's an opening for you as a volunteer at Windsor Castle. So I went to have an interview with the then librarian who was effectively my boss and I started out three months as a volunteer. I was very lucky that I was in a position that I could so I, I, re I recognise I was much more fortunate than a lot of people in my situation might have been. Clearly they liked me when I went, you know, they liked the job I did and within three months they um, offered me a job. So I became, I got involved in effectively in their cataloguing programme and gradually as my son got older and I rather quickly popped him off to nursery, I was able to work, I think it was nine till three and work five days a week. And so they were incredibly considerate as an employer in getting me back into the workplace. It takes a lot of drive to, to make a move like that. What, what was your drive? Well, I, I couldn't have not worked for a start. I just like working. That was my drive, I suppose. I think the other drive was the extraordinary privilege to work with a collection of that quality. So, you know, part of my role there was, was working with a collection of Leonardo drawings, with a collection of drawings by Canaletto. Um, I learned loads in terms of how to recognise prints and drawings. I'm not sure I could do it now, but at that stage, you know, I suddenly realised the difference between an aquatint and an etching. I had a great master. I worked with Martin Clayton, who still is at, the, uh, is at Windsor, uh, and who is a pronounced sort of Leonardo scholar. Um, so to have that, you know, that talent around you, and for somebody to give you so much information was extraordinary. And I don't think I really recognised it at the time. It is truthful, though, that I, after a couple of years of it, I realised that it wasn't going to be the career for me in the long term. And I told them that. And they were very helpful in effectively introducing to me to my next employer. And I recognise it doesn't work like that anymore. But I basically said, I want to do a combination of arts and business. I really like the sector, but I want to bring my skill that I'd learnt as a retailer into the cultural sector. And it just happened that there was this reorganisation going on at the Royal Academy Enterprises at the time under the influence of probably one of my greatest mentors, Josephine Lundberg. And I became employed as the head of buying. So what happened next as head of buying? It was a, an extraordinary uh, learning curve because the RA is a fantastic organisation. You do, of course, work with Old Master Pictures and through the exhibition programme and, and other such themes. But, you know, being able to work with a handful of academicians, I can't even say it, to create product and develop ideas was completely new to me. So, you know, when you work as a buyer in retail, you'll all know that there's not a huge amount of creativity in it because the creativity is in your resource, in the suppliers that you work with. So this was really, for me, the big learning was about the product development process. So, you know, really understanding how you make jewelry, really understanding how you create ceramics, um, and getting out and about into local factories at that stage, which they, they existed at that time. Uh, but even, you know, we were working with modelers in France, in the US, etc. So for me, it was a, 
it was sort of brought back everything that I rather liked, which is, you know, a creative person who also likes to run things. A handful of the RAs were so interested in the process of creating product for the shops that it was a delight to, to work with them. So I worked with some extraordinary artists like Terry Frost, for example, who was a part-time professor at the University of Reading when I was there. So, you know, all those connections sort of come back. I left primarily because I just actually, in the end, felt that it wasn't quite the right organisation for me. And as I was making that decision to look for perhaps a different type of organisation, somebody came knocking on my door and it was the chap who had just started at the National Gallery Company, a guy called Jeffrey Matthews. This is not the natural recruitment path. And I know it shouldn't happen and it doesn't happen very much anymore. But essentially, as I was leaving, he asked me to come and join him, which I duly did and have been there ever since. So before we talk about the National Gallery, you mentioned that the organisation wasn't quite right for you. And I know so many people working in their current organisations, they, they kind of feel that perhaps I shouldn't be here. Perhaps my values are not completely aligned to the values of my organisation. How important do you think it is for you to be productive and happy to be somewhere where you truly feel you belong? I think it's hugely important. And that's actually, I, I can remember being appointed managing director at the National Gallery Company and saying, oh, I won't be doing this for very long, you know, four years or so. And, and actually, you know, 20 years later, I'm still here because of the commitment I feel to the organisation, not just my colleagues in the company, but, you know, ultimately we're there to fuel the ambition of the gallery. And actually, I like my colleagues. So across the level, particularly with my executive colleagues in the gallery, sometimes it's really so heartwarming to be working along people who are just so clever. And, and I think you have, to, you have to respect that. I think I learn on, on a daily basis from my peers, you know, who are absolute experts in their field. And I hope I'm respected in the same way. And the other thing that I picked up from you telling your story so far is that your jobs have been 50% business and 50% arts in a way. I just love the mechanics of running a company. So yes, I would say that if you ask me what drove me, that, that's the essence of it. I like, being, I like being a leader. I don't think I would now be very content working in an organisation that didn't have the quality of the collection that's at the National Gallery. I'm very lucky that you know, if I'm going to a meeting at nine o'clock in the morning, I can walk through the picture galleries whilst they're all being prepared. And it's like the opening of a theatre performance. So National Gallery, how was it? How was it starting at the National Gallery? Well, I originally started as the trading director. So I had a managing director and he was really brought in to effectively change the nature of the company. It had been a publishing, it started off as a publishing company and it had a sort of wholesale arm to it. It did have retail, but retail didn't seem to be an important partner. And yet there was, this was a building that at that stage, 3.84 million people were going through on an annual basis. And so together we completely reorganized the organization. So it became very customer focused and customer focused in terms of its retail proposition. We put investment into the stores. We set up the buying team. The buying was done by the production team, which was extraordinary. And actually, we, didn't, we only then made things that the gallery were comfortable with, which tended to be paper. So we went through a whole change process to start to get gallery colleagues 
comfortable with us effectively selling all sorts of products in the way that we do now and which everybody seems quite comfortable with and you can't imagine life when you know you couldn't buy a fridge magnet or you couldn't buy a t-shirt in a museum shop but that was the way yeah. the national Gallery was it was quite far behind so was it you driving all those things uh no it's true to say that i worked with a gentleman who was extraordinarily um, good at strategy, but just, you know, he wasn't, he didn't know how to do it. And whilst he could identify what needed to be done, he didn't actually have the tools himself to be able to do it. And so I suppose one would say that that's the quality I brought to that team at the time. So we effectively closed down a mail order, we, we closed down a wholesale, and what we did was just refocus the business, and it's pretty much grown since then. I think one of the advantages since I've been at the helm is that the museum has felt much more comfortable about expanding its range of commercial activities. And so the portfolio I inherited when I took over as managing director has really widened in terms of its scope. But also we've been able to make brave decisions about what not to continue with. I think that's what you have to do too, is, you know, we all try to do so much, but actually good businesses are focused on a handful of things. One of the things that we, we look at regularly is which are the big priorities in terms of growing the business as opposed to sort of fiddling at the edges. So you didn't start as a managing director. When did that happen? I'd been there four years. My predecessor went off to do other things. Within 72 hours of him announcing his departure, I'd been announced as his successor. The staff knew me and trusted me. They liked me. I felt that in my appointment, I had the real support of the staff team, which external incumbent wouldn't have had. That really made a difference to my confidence in terms of how I approached the leadership role. Now, for the rest of us who would be quite terrified at that appointment, did you feel even a little bit scared? Of course, yes. Oh, good. <laughs> I feel as I'm a really different leader to the one I was when I took over. Remember, I've been in post as MD for 24 years now, which is a, is a long time for most managing director roles. But I don't feel I've got stale, but I do feel as much more confident in my shoes than I did perhaps 10 or 15 years ago. Because, you know, experience brings with it a huge sort of depth of resource, I think. In these last 24 years, have you ever doubted yourself, your skills, the direction of your career? You're always sense-checking how you approach things and people. I've had times when I've had to make quite tough decisions about the business and, you know, that brings with it doubt. Are you doing the right thing in terms of the direction of the business? Are you doing the right thing in terms of the impact it might have on employees? Are you doing the right thing in terms of the way it might look in, uh, for the perception of the National Gallery? I, you know, you, you, you have to think these things. I'm a very odd combination of somebody who likes to leap, but also likes to consider too. If people ask me something in terms of a leadership decision, I will always ask to reflect on it. But if I feel it's the right idea, I'll take the leap with them. And at those points of reflection where you're thinking about what the actual right route is or the right solution is, of course, brings in doubt, doesn't it? I think that leaders who don't have that are probably a little arrogant and autocratic. OK, so Julie, you were also a trustee of the Association for Cultural Enterprises. At what point in your career did you become that and why? I think I joined three years ago. In fact, at one point, one of my colleagues was involved as treasurer. So I used to hear quite a lot about what was going on in the association whilst not being formally part of its governance structure. I mean, I think it's really important when you get to a senior level or at any level, actually, it doesn't need to be senior 
But, um, you know, to be able to widen your portfolio at a non-executive level and give back is, I think, important. My, my first ever trustee appointment was at Bessie Arts Centre, and I did eight years there. And it was as that was coming to an end that I decided that the association announced that it was looking for a number of trustees at the time. It went through a competitive process. And so I put my hat into the ring um, and was lucky enough to be appointed. I'm also a trustee at the Lyric Theatre in Hammersmith. And so from my point of view, I really like working with small organisations and they are all they are very different to the one you know the big monolith that i work in at the moment really important to mentor and support them along the way so julie what advice would you give to someone like me who is not a trustee but would like to become a trustee someday keep looking (laughs) (laughs) so what Uh, skills do i need I think you need to understand or, or be prepared to understand the responsibility that, of being a director. I think you probably need to understand the reality about what good governance looks like. So those are the things that you could be thinking about. Uh, I suppose you need to identify the sort of organisations you would like to work with at the trustee level. I would take a leap to move out of, and that's what I did with going into theatre, is that I decided at the time that it would be useless for me to try and get a directorship with a, a small museum because I work in a big museum and actually whilst I could lend something it also felt to me that it was important for me to learn something in my role as a director so going into theatre brought with it career stretches for me I think you need to understand not just your responsibility as director but if you're on a board you are there to behave differently than if you're on the operating team trust your executive support your executive and at times intervene if you think it's right. But I see too many board colleagues trying to take over the executive. And I think that that is completely demotivational. Thank you, Julie. I think I've never heard someone talking about trustees in such honesty before. So that was very valuable. Thank you. So if we talk about Julie as Julie as a leader now, I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but often I guess, things thrown my way and I haven't got a clue what to do. How do you, in your position, manage those situations where all eyes are on you, but you just don't know what to do? I would be honest that I need time to go away and think about it. You'll only let yourself down if you make rash decisions which don't seem to have any sort of judgment around them and, and, and that won't inspire confidence in your senior team. I'd rather be positioned as a leader who is thoughtful and, and calm in the context in which they make decisions. And if you don't know what to do, you jolly well put yourself out there and go and ask how to do things. That's why I have a board. We've got calm, thoughtful, honest and consulting your colleagues. That's kind of roughly how you deal with the tricky situations. I hope so. But as I say, you'd have to ask them. <laughs> <laughs> we might. Thank you, Julie. No, we won't. From my perception and my view of the organisations I have worked uh, with before, there's still this misconception that top leaders need to be very tough and very professional all the time and almost quite impersonal the higher up you get. On a scale of one to ten, are you able to be Julie at work? Yes, ten. How do you manage to be a ten? How do you manage to be Julie? I think it is different in, in, in arts businesses. I think it allows for your personality to be more evident, I suppose. If I think back to my times at CNA, um, you know, I suppose I was learning, so maybe behaved slightly differently. I 
don't know that I've ever come across leaders who aren't personal, actually. I don't see any division between the Julie when, when she's at home or being entertained with friends or going to the theatre is very different to the one that presents themselves when they go into work. I think that's an important message to send to our junior managers out here because I do speak to lots of junior managers and they all feel like they have to be this different person at work in order to succeed and be promoted. And actually, you need to be yourself. Of course you do, yes. Or the version of yourself you best like, anyway. <laughs> there you go. So that's an important message. Thank you. And what do you like to do when you're not working? How do you keep your brain active? How do you learn new things? I like to go horse racing. <laughs> so horses, horses are the thing that aren't, you know, obviously Old Master Paintings 10, horses 10. I love going racing, whether it's flat racing or over jumps. So that keeps me busy and occupied and social. So we're going to bring this podcast to an end very soon. I've got three questions to ask you to come to, uh, to an end. So what mistakes do you often see others making in our industry that you always think we have got to stop doing that? Understanding the difference between activity that adds value and that that doesn't. Ambition is classed as frenetic activity. And actually, it's none of those things. A well-run organisation should be one that really picks and chooses where it goes. It's not quite the less is more, but it's more of the, you know, think about where you add value before you commit, whether it's staff resource or investment. I see so many people thinking success is just crazy activity, and it's, it's not. It's, it's, it, that's often the thing that makes you most vulnerable to disruption. What piece of advice would you give someone in the beginning of the management career if they want to be in a position like yours? Keep trying, I suppose. <laughs> keep trying. <laughs> and keep being yourself, right? Absolutely, yes. And I mean, I think there's lots of rubbish about hierarchy. I don't continue my, consider myself to be a particularly hierarchical type of leader. I'm sure I can be when it needs to be. But you've got to work hard. You've got to be really honest and trusting with others. I think collaboration is so important when you're starting to, to set out. Of course, you've got to be professional, but professional doesn't mean that it's a, you know, a version of the individual. But also be thinking what five years means and 10 years means. And I say that theoretically because in truth, I've been so lucky in terms of my career and also the length of stay at the gallery. But if you work with coaches, they'll say, you know, where do you vision yourself in five years time? Where do you vision yourself in 10 years time? And plot the route to getting there. So describe the ideal top leader in the arts in three words. Directive, empathetic, and a listener. Thank you so much for opening this podcast series with your honest answers. Very, very invaluable advice. Much appreciated. Thank you so much, Julie. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed my conversation with Julie as much as I have. If you have any feedback at all, please send it to info at cultureenterprises.org.uk. We would love to hear from you. And the Culture Enterprises podcast is available on all of your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe today so you never miss a show. And join me next time as I chat to another top sector leader. I'll see you then.